This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. And welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And this is the uh, second part of our summer kickoff. Very uh, celebratory. Yeah, our, our punchy two-potter on marshmallows and graham crackers. It's very punchy. And for those who have been listening to previous episodes, you know we've been dying to talk about Dr. Graham and the graham cracker since the beginning. Yeah, especially Annie. This is I think this is your your super passion project. Yeah, I mean, I sent Lauren an email and I had a picture of <laughs> Dr. Graham with a target on his face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and 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 how how has someone who invented the graham cracker incited Annie's ire like this? Oh, we're going to talk about it. Yes. We're going to talk all about it. But first, let's talk about what exactly a graham cracker is. Well, a graham cracker is a lightly sweetened, puffy cracker. Properly, it should be made at least partially with a type of whole wheat flour called graham flour. And, okay, let's go on a slight flour tangent. So, uh, so, so, so wheat flours. Wheat flours, um, are made up of ground wheat grains, which are seeds composed of, of a germ, you know, the little growy bit 
It's filled with fats and vitamins. That's surrounded by an endosperm, um, which is the food for the germ. It's made of carbs and proteins. And all of that is wrapped up in the bran, which is the fibrous outer layer that protects everything and keeps it inside. A white flour is made from wheat grains that have had the tough bran and germ removed. In most whole wheat flours, that stuff is sifted out during the grinding, and then at least some of it is uh, ground and then added back in. But in graham flour, the whole grain is ground together sort of coarsely, more like a meal than a flour almost. And uh, traditionally, that's what gives graham crackers that sort of fine grit that you that you wouldn't get in other uh, whole wheat flour preparations. Hmm. Yes. They should be sweetened partially with molasses or brown sugar to kind of round out their toasty, sweet flavor. And they're similar to the digestive biscuits of the United Kingdom. If that's what you're familiar with, they're sort of like a graham cracker. Oh, I've always loved the name digestive biscuit. Right? It makes me feel like I have it after dinner to help my stomach digest things. I don't so, know. It's so healthful. You're, you're doing yourself a favor. I'm sure. I'm sure that I am. Especially when they're covered in chocolate. Yes. Oh, well, <laughs> then yes. That is a favor. Maybe not a healthy one, but it's a favor. So now that we know what the graham cracker is, let's talk about how it came to be. First, we should point out that the modern graham cracker has undergone quite the Hollywood transformation and does not much resemble what its first incarnation was. At all. No, at all. And to understand the history of the graham cracker, we have to talk about one Dr. Sylvester Graham. Graham was born in Connecticut in 1794, and he was one of 17 children. Oh, yeah. His father died when he was a baby, and his mother suffered from a mental illness. So he stayed with a series of relatives growing up. For a stint, he lived with the owner of a tavern who put Graham to work in said tavern. And his experience with drunks and drunkenness led Graham to swear off alcohol forever. He held many jobs from farmhand to teacher, but one constant thing he dealt with was illness. In his late 20s, health permitting, he attended Amherst Academy in Massachusetts, where evidently he enjoyed popularity among the ladies. The other fellows were quite jealous and conspired to get him kicked out of the college by lying about his improper interactions with said ladies. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And apparently it worked, and he was given the old heave-ho. Oh, no. And his health failed. He had a nervous breakdown, and he had to move to Rhode Island to recover. Why Rhode Island? I don't know. But he did in 1826, and that same year he got married, was ordained as a Presbyterian minister, and became the minister of a congregation in New Jersey. So quite the year for him. Yes. He was pretty well liked, except for one minor thing. The sermons he gave railing against alcohol, because at the time, alcohol was pretty much everywhere. And it was just sort of a thing you did at social events. It was the hospitable thing to do, offer somebody a drink. Uh, People at that time drank about three times as much as we do today. Yeah. Yeah. And it was still commonly used medicinally for all kinds of things, including what we now call stress. Hmm. They use it medicinally for that sometimes, too. Uh Uh-huh. Well... They did back then. (laughs) Graham left his congregation in 1830 and was hired by the Pennsylvania Society for the Suppression of Ardent Spirits, quite a name, to go around speaking about the health risk and immorality of alcohol. 
This was all part of the temperance movement that was sweeping the United States from the 1820s through through at least the 40s on into the 70s and 80s as well, started largely in Protestant churches, but expanding into local and national groups. And, and th- this movement was largely run and led by women and was thus sort of surprisingly feminist in some ways. It wound up pushing for women's rights. It it also led to the passing of laws that would eventually culminate in a prohibition, nationwide prohibition. But yeah, uh, as of the 1830s, it involved a lot of groups hiring people to go around and preach virtue and good health via abstaining from alcohol. And Graham was great at these preachings. He was so great that people began calling him Dr. Graham, even though he's not a real doctor. Dr. Graham. That I thought he was a real doctor. Me too. Man. Huh. Enter... Cholera outbreak of 1832. Oh, my goodness. Panic sweeps the nation. Doctors call for a curative composed, in part, of brandy. But Graham was having none of it. He said that drug shops were lurking at every corner, waiting, quote, like so many craters of hell, to vomit out the lava of death. What? Yeah. (laughs) He was not messing around. Okay. Nope. In Graham's book, your best bet to prevent cholera was, you know, don't worry about it. And ignore these doctors. (laughs) Instead, you need to bathe at regular intervals, spend some time in the great outdoors, breathing that fresh air, getting some exercise, drink pure water, and absolutely the most important, eat foods of the plant kingdom. No meat, no alcohol, no tobacco, and no, absolutely do not even think about having any white bread. (laughs) And as a result of this, vegetarianism, started to become more well-known. I should point out that a lot of that's pretty good advice. Yes. Uh, this is kind of the start of um, preventative-like mm-hmm. lifestyles. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. Oh, oh yeah. I have no problem with that at all. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, while all of this was happening, the food industry was busy industrializing. Uh, as we touched on in our sourdough episode, this significantly impacted bread, moving it um, out of something that was baked in homes into large factories and depleting a lot of the nutritional value. Technologies had been developed that could grind flour finer and sift out the bran and the germ. And Graham did not approve. No. Nope. He thought it led to a lazy colon. That's that's horrible. Which I guess is partially true-ish because, you know, the fiber's taken out. Um, And also bakeries at the time were unregulated and uh, they didn't necessarily always use good ingredients. Mm Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of rumors about, the, you know, like drywall getting mixed up in there or something like that. I don't think it was drywall. Plaster. <laughs> I don't think drywall is invented for a while later. But yeah. And Graham believed lifestyle as prevention was what God had always intended. So he was one of the first to popularize the idea of religion and health or morality and health in our culture. If you were getting sick, you were violating a law of life laid down by God. Graham thought this to be his God-given mission to promote this diet and to save Americans from their immoral diet choices. And to be fair, because we can't tell I got a bit of a beef with Graham, it sounds like he was uh, saying repeated infractions for the culprit, like eating too much meat or drinking too much alcohol. But still, He argued that gluttony is, quote, one of the greatest sources of evil to the human family. Whew. Yeah. And another thing. The (laughs) Graham diet, as it was known, was also meant to prevent what was seen by many as the evils of the day, 
lust, masturbation, and all manner of sexual immorality. Quote, unquote. Right. Mm -hmm. By following his diet, avoiding overstimulation, which included feather beds and warm food, your libido (laughs) would greatly decrease and protect you from such sinful temptation. He went around giving lectures about sexual chastity, saying things along the lines of, like, spicy foods lead to a spicy constitution and should be avoided. (laughs) And he particularly maligned masturbation, which he believed caused blindness and insanity. Uh, Yeah, he believed that masturbating inflames the brain, even more so than sex, uh, which he believed that no one should have more than once a month. He thought that if you exercised your lust too much, your children would die young because you had diluted your reproductive abilities. Yeah. There's this whole thing where uh, they thought sperm was sacred at the time and you only had a certain amount and everyone was like this perfect thing and you shouldn't waste it. Yeah. Don't use it up. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And though there were a fair amount of skeptics, Graham attracted quite the following of supporters who were known as Grahamites. They claimed the diet cured all kinds of things, and some of them lived in communities together. Yeah. And this is about the time we finally arrive at the Graham Cracker. But first, quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So let's go back to that white bread thing, because it is central to the graham crackers origin story. In 1837, Graham wrote this this thing called Treatise on Bread and Bread Making. Which sounds lovely just by the title. <laughs> I mean, sure, that sounds that's I, I would read a treatise on bread and bread making. Yeah. A snippet from the introduction. 
Thousands in civic life will, for years, and perhaps as long as they live, eat the most miserable trash that can be imagined in the form of bread, and never seem to think that they can possibly have anything better, not even that it is an evil to eat such vile stuff as they do. I have thought, therefore, that I could hardly do society a better service than to publish the following treatise on a subject which, whether people are aware of it or not, in reality, is of very great importance to the health and comfort of everyone." So that's not so lovely. <laughs> I'd be very disappointed had I picked up this book, expecting like wonderful bread recipes. Yeah, none none of that was contained therein. In this book, he advocated for making bread using a method he developed of grinding up whole wheat kernels, mm-hmm. uh, and the resulting product was the coarser than your average whole wheat flour that came to be known as gram flour. And this vilification of commercialized bread and those that made it led to Graham being mobbed by some angry bakers. Uh, also some butchers at some point who thought that he was, you know, bad for business. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't the first time he was mobbed either. In 1834, a group of women mobbed him at a lecture about chastity. But I, I believe this had more to do with a man speaking to women in public about sex than any sort of backlash against chastity. Yeah. Uh, according to Graham, bread had to be made by wives and mothers with love and care, which would then lead to a happy digestive system of those who ate it. A lot of women didn't like this because the introduction of commercialized bread had freed up some of their time. Now get back in the kitchen, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Graham would use the Graham flour to make Graham crackers, but... Like we said, they were a far cry from today's graham crackers. Oh, yeah. No, they, they were they were not sweetened. They contained no fat. Uh, it was basically just just this graham flour and water. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sold and produce, produced them locally, but without profit, because he believed that to be immoral. And Oberlin adopted the Graham diet for their diet plan in 1838. Oberlin College, yes. Yes. Uh, and three years later, students were protesting and a professor was fired for using the forbidden sexually provocative pepper. And Oberlin <laughs> dropped the diet from their dining halls. And by the late 1830s, Graham's influence started to wane. Can't can't imagine that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you feed these people like something that has to be boiled, basically, in order to be edible. And why why would people protest that? I don't know. Why would college students not be down with that? I'm not sure. It's one of the great mysteries. <laughs> the New York Times wrote in 1836 that Grahamism was, quote, the most pernicious and abhorrent, a fanatical attempt to shut out from mankind certain sources of happiness and enjoyment, which were clearly provided and intended for them in the economy of the earth. That's pretty harsh criticism right there. Uh, Partially because he thought it was immoral to sell things, he died totally broke and in destitution uh, in 1851 at the age of 51. And guess who drew inspiration from Dr. Graham? Our friend Dr. Kellogg. (laughs) Although he's an actual doctor, at least. At least. At least? Yeah, I guess. Uh, in fact, some people argue that Graham's greatest legacy is his influence on Kellogg, who was a Grahamite. Using Graham flour, among other things, he invented a rather bland cereal he called granola. Mm-hmm. And launching off its success, he went on to formulate cornflakes. 
But so how on earth did we go from, from this terrible, healthful, bland cracker that you might have had to boil before eating to the lovely, sweet sandwich capturer of marshmallows, oh, yeah. friend of s'mores, mm-hmm. pie crust ingredient. Yeah. How'd we do it? We'll, well tell you after another quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So, although Graham passed away, uh, his Graham flower would live on. And by the late 1800s, Recipes for uh, graham flour crackers involving sugar <gasps> and butter, my God, or lard, oh. goodness, uh, uh, would start to emerge. Um, although the unsweetened version was still made, they were called more often uh, graham wafers than graham crackers, hmm. and commercial bakeries were also starting to sell them. Then in uh, 1898, the National Biscuit Company formed, and this was a conglomeration of 114 independent bakeries. Wow. And they would easily dominate the cracker market in the United States. According to one Thomas S. Olive, <laughs> Olive with two L's, uh-huh. a noted biscuitman Ooh. Uh, and the vice president of the company, uh, he said, the formation of the National Biscuit Company resulted in practically a new biscuit industry. So thorough was the revolution which took place. That sounds very epic. It was it was around that time that um, innovations in manufacturing technology allowed for the uh, formerly kind of fussy and labor intensive process of making and cutting crackers to become easier and more automated uh, dough mixers and and uh, stamp cutters, stuff like that. But there was a bit of an upset in 1910 
where some dishonest mills were selling whole wheat flour that had been sifted and only had a little bit of the bran worked back in as graham flour. The USDA Bureau of Chemistry, which was a thing Mm -hmm. uh, prior to the FDA, uh, the USDA Bureau of Chemistry did a really extensive analysis. Really extensive. This was serious. I, it sounds serious. I don't, don't market things that aren't Graham Flower as Graham Flower. Don't you do it, Annie Reese. It's the ghost of Dr. Graham. <laughs> like, I know what you've done. Meanwhile, in 1925, the Pacific Coast Biscuit Company, a, another cracker conglomerate, apparently <laughs> there was a lot of those back in the wow. day, they launched their honey made line. Perhaps you've heard of them. Perhaps. Um, th- they would be purchased by the National Biscuit Company five years later. Hmm. National Biscuit Company, Nabisco. I I can't believe I never put that had, together. I had no idea. Nope. I probably, if it had been like one dude who invented it, as is most of <laughs> our episodes, can be traced back. There's one guy. Yeah. That's what I I would have thought. But that it was a guy named Nabisco. Yeah. Yep. Mr. Nabisco. Nope. Nope. National Biscuit Company. Mm-hmm. These 1920s-ish uh, graham crackers were marketed with the with the name sugar in their name for a long time because cookies were sometimes called sugar crackers back oh, then. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. And further innovations over the next few decades would develop the process that is used today. Um, uh, massive drums mix the dough, a series of uh, gauged rollers squish it down to the right thickness, rotary cutters slice it into shape, and the crackers are baked in a in a tunnel oven on conveyor belts. <laughs> There's a lot of gesturing happening right now. Yes. By the 1950s, graham cracker crumbs became a popular ingredient in desserts. And in their current form, most mass-produced graham crackers are actually not made from graham flour. Mm-hmm. They're made mostly of white flour and are colored to achieve the whole wheat look. Modern animal crackers are usually made of the same dough. Oh, I don't like animal crackers. No? No. Do you like graham crackers? I do. And this is one of the great ironies is that they were invented as a health food using graham flour, and now they are not a health food. And, and they, they don't use graham flour. <laughs> They're still called graham crackers. Uh, I think, I think our friend Dr. Graham is rolling in his grave. I think so too. Although his, I mean, preventative lifestyle and I did read a lot of people who conveniently glossed over the whole, uh, masturbation and sex and mm-hmm. all that being evil thing, uh, to, uh, praise him for helping spread vegetarianism and a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, which I can appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that other stuff was was crazy. The problem, I'm not going to go into the whole tangent of why I don't like uh, Dr. Graham, but there are some videos from my old show, stuff I never told you. Can I check it out? <laughs> um, I have more of a problem of that, that it's tied to morality and that we've tied weight to morality because you can't, I mean, so much genetics is involved. Oh yeah, yeah. And then uh, there and there's so many different body types and there's nothing that says that that any one of them is a healthy one. Yes, exactly. For any given person. That's my main problem. Yeah. Yes. If you don't want to buy a graham cracker at the store, you could make your own. You can. Mm-hmm. I have never done this. Have you done this? No. But I Contemplated seriously doing it because I have a I have a <laughs> recipe book and I have the page folded down, 
perhaps it will happen in the near future. I've, I've heard it's worthwhile. Uh, Alton Brown and Smitten Kitchen both have recipes that look pretty excellent. Um, you don't strictly have to track down graham flour, but, um, but specialty companies like King Arthur and, uh, Bob's Red Mill, stuff like that, they, they do totally sell it. So you can find it. Yeah, I don't think I've ever, I've never been looking for it, but I don't think I've ever seen graham flour. I don't think I have either. But again, yeah, might have just glossed right over it. It definitely exists. And I think that's about what we have to say about graham crackers. Yeah. I I don't know what you were expecting when you clicked on this episode, but this isn't what I was expecting to be reading about today. No, and I would, uh, well, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but I took a moment to do this and think about kind of the impact that people like Graham and Kellogg had on how we view diet today and also just products and how they're marketed and what we can still buy. I think it's worth pondering, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> that could just be me. <laughs> um, so that brings us to our... Listener mail! Yes! So much good listener mail! Yeah! This first one is from Jenny, who wrote in response to our fried chicken episode... I did not expect the fried chicken episode to bring back so many memories for me, and it made me remember that I would not be here if it weren't for fried chicken. Oh, my goodness. I know. My family is Jewish, and my grandfather's family settled in Clarksdale, Mississippi in the early 1900s, where they ran a small grocery store. I mentioned their ethnicity simply to demonstrate that it seems by the 1940s, love of fried chicken had permeated throughout all cultures. My mother says that my grandmother spoke with a southern Yiddish accent, which is something <laughs> I cannot even imagine. He enlisted in World War II in 1942. At the time, he was 26, somewhat old in those days to be going into active duty. At some point after that, his unit was sent to Kansas City for training for some reason or another, the exact details are fuzzy, but there was some sort of Jewish USO-type dance that year, and the women provided food for the soldiers. My grandmother lived in Kansas City and was also apparently nearing old maid status at the age of 24. <gasps> she made fried chicken, and where she learned to make it, I don't know. Apparently, it was so delicious to my homesick southern grandfather that he sought her out in this case, the way to his heart really was through his stomach. They were married on Valentine's Day, 1943. That is a terrific story about fried chicken. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Food bringing people together. Yes. Thank you for that. Yes. Um, and, and then we have another exploding pineapple story. Another one. <laughs> this one is from Kelly, who says, Nine-ish years ago, my family was in the midst of helping my grandparents downsize and move into a retirement community in northern Indiana where we all live. Uh, we, my mom, younger brother, grandmother, and I, were down in my grandparents' basement to bring up canned goods that my grandmother wanted to bring with her when she moved. She stored all of her canned goods in a cheaply made pine cabinet that my grandfather bought for a dollar when he and my grandmother first moved to North Manchester. As we got to the back of the cabinet, we noticed that the shelf was covered in this brown, sticky residue. My brother, being the adventurous soul that he is, finally peeled off a bit and ate it. It tastes like pineapple, he exclaimed. Sure enough, at the back of this cabinet, there was this industrial-sized can of pineapple that had exploded and leaked pineapple juice everywhere. The part that made my mother and I laugh the hardest was, 
It, the can, was so old that there was nothing left that resembled pineapple, just that sticky residue. As my mother started trying to clean up the mess, she became so fascinated with the layers of paint and wallpaper that covered this cabinet that she insisted on bringing it home and restoring it. Today, the cabinet proudly stands in our family room, holding my mother's collection of cookbooks. She even managed to find pineapple-shaped knobs for the two drawers. She proudly calls it her pineapple cabinet. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Pineapple cabinet. It's made of pine. Smells like pineapple. Pineapple knobs. That's great. Exploding pineapple. More exploding pineapple. Strikes again. I can't believe we got two emails about that. Oh, pineapple danger. Um, Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> be on the lookout for that. Everyone beware. But before we leave you today, uh, we... We wanted to have a little bit of a chat. We we had uh, the great opportunity to get some media passes to the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival, which just happened uh, at the beginning of June here in Atlanta, as you may have guessed. Surprise. From the name. Yeah. Um, and I actually had strep throat, so I didn't get to go, which was very, very disappointing. Know, it was very tragic. It was. Oh, man. I mean, I, I mean, strep throat is never fun. But like the thought that instead of eating delicious food, you're having strep throat is very... Very, depressing. Yeah. Uh, but Annie did get to go. I did. I did. It was my first year going and it was fantastic. I wish Lauren had been there because I did my best to sample all of the foods uh, and drinks, but I could have used a partner. Yeah. Yeah. You can eat twice as much smaller exactly. bites. Yeah. Totally. Oh, <laughs> team up. Uh, but, but yeah. So, so right. The, the, the festival has these tasting tents that, mm-hmm. um, southern chefs from all over the south, yeah. uh, come and, and prepare stuff from, you know, just, ex- just whatever they think is exciting. Yeah. And they're trying to represent the state that they're from. So the first event I went to on Thursday was called Destination Delicious. And it was all, I believe it was 13 southern states and they all had tents and they had like drinks and appetizers and desserts that were supposed to show off the best of their region. And everything I tried was amazing. And I only wish that I had had more space. Uh, the next day I went to a panel on, cause they also do panels and right. they're amazing. I went to a panel on, um, Georgia local craft brewers, beer brewers. Oh, cool. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And that was great. They had samples and they were talking about, um, just how they came to get into the business and difficulties they faced and how they got to their recipes, all the testing they did. Uh, so that was excellent. Cool. And then I went to uh, kind of a throwback to our first episode. I went to uh, Best, Most Award-Winning of North Georgia Wines. Oh, cool. Yeah. And that was also really cool. I got to try some wines I've never tried from North Georgia, which is saying something because <laughs> I have sampled quite a few. I am from North Georgia mostly. Um, and then that night was the Tasting Tents. So many Tasting Tents. <laughs> Uh, I thought I'd tried everything, and then I realized that there was a whole downstairs area with more tents than all the other tents that I'd already tried. Oh, my goodness. I ran into our friends from Old Forth Distillery. Oh, uh-huh. uh, They had an excellent cocktail, and it had King of Pops pop in it. It was so good. Um, and one of, I, one of my favorite things I tried was from Fox Brothers Barbecue, and it was like a aged steak thing. And then also Revolution Donuts, which is just always good. Always a favorite in my book. 
So yeah, I, I could go on and on and on about all the food I tried and I took all these pictures. But um we just wanted to thank the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival for inviting us. Yeah. Giving the passes. Very sorry to Lauren and yeah. to you. <laughs> she yeah, got sick. that I didn't get to go. But but next next year. Next year. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And oh man, like they had a panel about Mezcal and the way that oh, the, yeah. the, the designation is changing in Mexico and how it's gonna oh so much so many. They had things. one called like um I ain't scared, and it was just, like, uh, unusual foods, foods you won't usually encounter. <laughs> oh, I wanted to go to that so bad, and they had one on sake. Dying to learn more about sake. They, they Every day, it was just a fight over which one which one to go to yeah yeah i've i've never i've never been to a food festival before actually and uh oh man uh, yeah so so i really or i mean you know i've been to like small like 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 strawberry festival or something like right. that but nothing mm-hmm. nothing on that scale and with that level of education going on yes. so um uh, yeah, if, if, if you guys have, uh, if you guys were either there, you experienced some of this yourself, um, get in touch and let us know about it. Or, or if there's another food festival in your area that you Invite think is rad. Yeah, yeah, t- tell us about it. Mm-hmm. Field trip time. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're always down for a field trip. Yeah. Uh, feel free to email us about that or anything else at foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. Mm-hmm. You can also get in touch with us via social media on Facebook and Twitter. We are foodstuffhsw, stands for How Stuff Works. On Instagram, we are just plain old foodstuff. Uh, we hope to hear from you, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.